Lord Jesus, blessing and honor and glory and power are yours. We thank you, Father, for calling us your sheep and being our shepherd. We thank you that you sent Jesus, the great shepherd, to watch over our souls, to care for us, to guide us, to protect us, to provide for us. And I pray that we would understand better through this passage of Scripture today what it means to follow the shepherd and that we would find our allegiance in him, focus our affections on him, and be useful, Lord, for your glory and your kingdom through your church. I pray all this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. I'd invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Our text today is verse 20 and 21 in a message entitled, Follow the Shepherd. We've been thinking about what it means to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And in part, we have to follow the shepherd and know him if we want to be conformed to him. It's the nature of sheep to stray and to get in harm's way, whether that be from uh, hungry predators or the terrain that they're living in. And for centuries, shepherds have used various methods uh, from a staff to a sheepdog to keep sheep from straying from the safety of their care. In more modern times, uh, some of the methods that they've used have become a little bit more sophisticated. Uh, one method that's been developed is a metal hoof-proof grid that's built into the ground around the sheep's territory, similar to the idea of a cattle guard. The animals are unable to walk over the grid, which is about eight feet wide around the perimeter. This generally works well in keeping the sheep within the protection of their pen. But a few years ago, there were some shepherds in Yorkshire, England, that found that they had a group of sheep in their care that were not only stubborn and prone to stray, they were also quite crafty. One sheep in the group figured out how to get over the boundaries. He laid down and rolled over the grid until he got to where he could stand up. The other sheep in the herd followed the example of the stray leader, and soon the sheep had spread over the countryside and found their way to neighborhood gardens, and they ate the food of the people and the flowers of the local residents, and actually placed themselves in harm's way because of dogs in the community that came after them and other things uh, getting into the roads and so on, they put themselves in a difficult position. We chuckle at that, but we're mindful of the fact that we, as the sheep of God, are a people who are prone to stray. And when we stray, we put ourselves in harm's way outside of the protection of the shepherd and a dominant metaphor for the relationship of God to his people in the Bible is that of the shepherd and the sheep. It's one that is developed from the Old Testament on until we come fully into focus on Jesus as our shepherd. Shepherding was and still is to a certain extent a very common occupation around the world in agrarian areas. And you remember in the Old Testament, the patriarchs were all shepherds to some degree. And everyone was familiar with what shepherding was. 
The Bible sketches out in great detail what a faithful shepherd would look like. A faithful shepherd was to focus on the provision, care, guidance, and safety of his flock. Bad shepherds, in contrast, God rebuked them because they failed to provide for and to protect and to guide the sheep. So our focus today in these few minutes that we have together is why we should follow Jesus as our shepherd. And there's this blessing that is pronounced in these closing verses of the book of Hebrews that is similar to the priestly blessing in the book of Numbers in the Old Testament. After asking his readers to pray for him, the writer of Hebrews prayed for his readers. I pick up reading here in verse 20. And we'll go through verse 21. Now, may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip you, verse 21, with everything good to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. In the blessing of Hebrews 13... God is recognized for part of his attributes, peace, power, and love. And we're reminded that God does not expect us to live this Christian life on our own. God gives us a shepherd and he equips us with all that we need to live the Christian life. He supplies us with what we need to do what he asks. St. Augustine prayed in his confessions, command what you will and give what you command. Ligon Duncan, the preacher, said Augustine was saying, Lord, you can tell me to do anything you want to tell me to do as long as you will help me do it. And this is the beauty of grace. God forgives us and saves us, but then he doesn't just leave us on our own. He also gives us the strength to live out the life he's called us to do and called us to in the life and the commandments that he has given us to do. And the verses in Hebrews focus on the shepherd and his sheep. Now, you'll remember that shepherding was a fairly lowly occupation. It seems that the humble status of the shepherd, at least in part, is one reason that Jesus chose the title for himself. God compared the Israelites to sheep, and he applied the label to all who are called by his name, which encompasses us as well. And one commentator pointed out that God's people are compared to sheep for several reasons. Sheep are one of the few animals without a natural defense system. They're helpless without a shepherd, and God is our defender. Then sheep are uh, willing to follow a leader, even if it's dangerous, as in the opening story that I shared. And then finally, sheep are prone to wander away from the flock, and their only chance of survival is to be cared for by a trustworthy shepherd. The call from Jesus came to his first disciples, and it was the call follow me. It's the same call that Jesus issues in our lives today. Follow me. Follow Jesus. Personal allegiance to the shepherd. And it indicates that he wants us to hear him, follow him, and obey his words. As a sheep, you were meant to have a shepherd. And you have a great shepherd in Jesus. And I believe understanding who Jesus is as our shepherd and who we are as his sheep will help us to follow him and to be faithful. So first, I want to show you that Jesus is the suffering shepherd. He's the suffering shepherd. Look again in verse 20. 
Jesus is described as the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant. The title of the great shepherd is a significant one. John Owen, in his work on Hebrews, observed the connection between the title and the trajectory of the shepherding motif in Scripture, and he wrote this of Jesus. He was promised of old the object of the faith and hope of the church from the beginning. He who was looked for and prayed for, who was now come, had come to save his flock. In other words, his greatness, at least in Hebrews, is revealed to us through his messianic role and through his finished work as the suffering shepherd who saves us from our sins. This is the only one who could call himself the good shepherd, as he did in John chapter 10. And therefore, he's the only one who could be the great shepherd, as is referenced here in Hebrews chapter 13. The rendering here is interesting because it's literally the shepherd of the sheep, the great. It's almost like a double emphasis on the greatness of the shepherd. And the emphasis is on his character, but the emphasis is also on what he has done. Now, I want to do something as I work my way through this message in these few moments, and I want to make some comparisons to three Psalms. I'm not going to ask you to turn to them, but I'm going to make a comparison to Psalm 22, Psalm 23, and Psalm 24 as I work my way through the message. Psalm 22 is a shepherd psalm, as are Psalm 23 and 24. In Psalm 22, in verse 1, says, My God, my God, in verse 1, why have you abandoned or forsaken me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? The context of this is that Psalm 22 was a psalm of David written after he assumed the throne of Israel. David lived in times of great danger, and ultimately, the psalm points to Jesus as the Messiah. Jesus himself chose Psalm 22 to describe his agony on the cross in Matthew 27 and verse 46. James Boyce said we can be fairly certain that Jesus was meditating on the Old Testament during the hours of his suffering and that he saw his crucifixion as a fulfillment of Psalm 22 particularly. Jesus knew what was in Psalm 22. He knew it before he went to the cross. He knew that he was going to suffer and that it would be fulfilled in him. So it's been said that this is the psalm of the cross. The love of the shepherd unfolded in his suffering when he made propitiation for our sins by his blood. So I want you to note what was taking place here. Jesus had the weight of the sins of the world on him. I want you to think just for a moment about what he endured on our behalf so that we can be forgiven. And Hebrews leading up to this contrasts the Old Testament sacrifices, which watch this, were a shadow with the sacrifice of Jesus, which is the substance. One was pointing forward to the other, pointing forward to the sinless Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So while the blood of bulls and goats was not sufficient to forgive our sins, the blood of Jesus is sufficient to forgive our sins. And Jesus, as the suffering shepherd, laid down his life for the sheep. The blood of Jesus is referenced several times in the New Testament, and each time 
it specifically points to the atoning work of Jesus on our behalf. The Savior bled and died for sinners, for people like us. And the blood of Jesus is the basis, according to this verse, of the everlasting covenant in the last part of verse 20. This covenant is eternal. It's established by the blood of the Lamb of God. Jesus, the innocent Savior, dying for guilty sinners. And his suffering shows us the devastating nature of sin and the wrath of God upon it. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Romans 5 and verse 6 and following. He said, for while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is a powerful reminder to us that there was nothing that we had done that would deserve salvation. There's nothing that we can do to earn salvation. It's only by the blood of Jesus. And it is grace upon grace. So we can say that the suffering shepherd is the way of justification. How do we measure the size of a fire? By the number of firefighters and fire engines sent to fight against it. How do we measure the seriousness of a medical condition? By whatever is done by the doctors to treat it. How do we measure the gravity of sin and the incomparable vastness of the love of God for us? By looking at the magnitude of what God has done for us in Jesus, that the Son of God was willing to become like a common criminal for our sake and die in our place. You see, the suffering shepherd saves us from the penalty of sin. But then second, Jesus is the living shepherd. It says here in verse 20 that God brought Jesus up from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus is a testimony to the infinite power of God. That the one who created the universe has power over the universe. And that the one who created the universe has power to raise the dead. The resurrection of Jesus authenticates who he claimed to be as the Son of God, who he was presented to be as the Messiah. But sometimes when we think about these grand theological truths and think about the depths of them and the breadth of them and, and how significant they are, we also at the same time have a difficult time connecting them to how that transforms our lives in the here and now. We know them here and we agree with them. And we say, yes, that is true, and yes, that is important. But how does the resurrection of Jesus shape our service for God now? I think about the great resurrection chapter in 1 Corinthians 15. The, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, brought to us. And in those opening verses of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul lays the foundation of the significance of the resurrection. In fact... He encapsulates the gospel in verse 3 and 4. That Christ died, and he was buried, and he rose. This is the heart of the gospel. And then as he comes toward the end of chapter 15, he says in verse 58, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. 
always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It is not by accident that he opens that chapter as he does and then brings to conclusion as he does because it represents an unparalleled display of power and all other shepherds pale in comparison. If it is in fact true that Jesus rose from the dead and he is victorious over death, hell, and the grave, and it is, then that has implications for us. That because Christ died for our sins, we can be forgiven. He was buried and he was raised by the power of God in the resurrection. And as a result of that, Paul says, hey, you need to stand firm. Don't let anything shake you. It doesn't matter what comes against you. It doesn't matter what enemy you face. It doesn't matter what obstacle you come into contact with. You stand firm and you let nothing move you. And you give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. And you give yourself fully to the work of the Lord knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It doesn't matter if you feel like it. It doesn't matter if other people are noticing it. It doesn't matter if you're getting recognition or anything else. You know that what you're doing for the Lord, it counts. And it counts eternally. And you can be encouraged in that because there is a living shepherd who is guiding you in the way. And as the living shepherd, according to verse 21, Jesus is able to equip you with everything good to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight. Now, the prayer is that God would equip the sheep. This word is also translated as perfect. Uh, the word equip literally means to make fit or to complete. It means to furnish whatever qualities are necessary to perform the task at hand. And there's an interesting connection with the word equip that is used here uh, to two other places in the book of Hebrews. And I want to point those out to you. Uh, the verb is used for fashioning the world through the word of God in chapter 11 and verse 3. Equip is also used for fitting the Son of God with a body through which he could do God's will in chapter 10 and verse 5. Now here's the connection. The world and all that we know and see and could ever learn about were created and were spoken into being by the word of God. And Jesus, the Son of God, was equipped with a body so that he could do the will of the Father. He could accomplish the mission to seek and to save the lost. And only through Jesus can you be equipped to do God's will. That's the connection. It's not about us. It's about the living shepherd who is the truth of sanctification, who is perfecting us and equipping us, completing us, in order to do the will of the Father. So your life is called upon to serve and to sacrifice and to pray and to worship and to give and to love and to evangelize and the list goes on. How's that possible? Because the Lord works through you and he will equip you with what you need if you will surrender to him. We've seen in our recent study on the apostles and our discipleship emphasis uh, on our midweek study how Jesus chose ordinary people, not the most highly educated or influential people of the day. Uh, they did not have the best pedigree or accomplishments as a group. And yet Jesus 
called these ordinary people to do extraordinary things, and he changed the world through them. And God's mission today to reach the nations, God's mission to take the good news to the ends of the earth, it is accomplished through ordinary people. Ordinary people who say yes to God, yes to the living Savior. And it is God who is working in us to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes, according to Philippians 2 and verse 13. So God alone can bring out your full potential And in the living shepherd, we are given everything good to do his will. So this living shepherd, he calls us by name. He knows us and we know him. He protects us as his sheep and he gives life abundant to the sheep according to John chapter 10. Now I told you that Psalm 22 is the Psalm of the cross. Psalm 23 is also a shepherd psalm. And I want to point to just one verse here, although it's probably very familiar to you. Some of you could quote it in its entirety, Psalm 23. Verse 3 says, he renews my life. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. What was the responsibility of a shepherd? It was to guide. It was to take the sheep to the green pastures and to the still waters. They didn't know where they needed to go. They didn't know where they could find what they needed. The shepherd showed them. And the word paths in Psalm 23 and verse 3 refers specifically to a course of conduct. Righteousness means adhering to standards of uprightness. So what does the shepherd do? He guides his sheep in the right way. God leads his people on the correct path. So the path of righteousness is the path of holy obedience. The path of righteousness is for the glory of the shepherd. And in ancient Israel, a person's name was inseparably linked with his reputation and with his standing. And the path of righteousness is on the journey that leads us to eternal life. It's the safest road to travel. And it keeps us from going astray, which I've already noted we are prone to do. But did you know even when we stray... The shepherd is willing to go even after a single lost sheep to restore them if it's needed. Sin has the effect of making us vulnerable. After all, King David, the man after God's own heart, turned adulterer and murderer. Samson made reckless choices. Peter denied Jesus. We are flawed people who are vulnerable to temptation and to the foolishness of our minds that would rationalize and justify essentially any course of action. And whereas Psalm 22 is referred to as the Psalm of the Cross, it is Psalm 23 that's been referred to as the Psalm of the Crook of the Shepherd's Staff. Now this is incredibly important because His grace flows out in His loving, faithful care and ministry. And if we are to have a measure of victory over the power of sin, it will only come as we lean on the strength and the wisdom of Jesus As his grace strengthens our hearts and our minds, we can overcome our own worst inclination to make foolish choices that we make. And you might feel weak and inadequate. Well, guess what? You are weak and inadequate. You can't do it on your own. But the living shepherd equips you with what you need for doing his will. And through it, he's purifying you. And he's making you more like himself. He's conforming you. How? By leading you on the paths of righteousness. By purifying your life, your heart, your mind, your body, everything for him, 
and by empowering you to overcome sin. You say, well, how does this practically apply to our lives? By surrendering yourself to his will, by allowing the shepherd to work in you and equip you. You don't have to do it on your own. You've got his spirit and his word. Not only is the shepherd the one who saves us from the penalty of sin, the living shepherd is now saving us from the power of sin as he sanctifies us and makes us more like him. And then third, Jesus is the exalted shepherd. I come back now to verse 21. Hebrews closes in the same way that it opens by giving glory to Christ. You remember in those opening verses how uh, the truth is given that God has revealed himself in various times and in various ways. And it speaks of the exaltation of the son, the throne that is eternal. Now he's coming back full circle to chapter 13 and he's saying, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever in verse 21. Now, admittedly, to whom could refer to God the Father or to Jesus the Son, but they both get the glory in our salvation. Christ is raised to the highest of heights. So when we say, to whom be glory forever and ever, we are saying that there is, there is nothing above the exalted shepherd. There is no one who is greater or more worthy or more deserving of honor than Jesus, who is our exalted shepherd. Revelation 5 and verse 13 says, to, whom, uh, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion, power forever and ever. So the shepherd is to be exalted for his peace that he gives to us. The shepherd is to be exalted for his eternal covenant, which he has secured by the blood of Jesus. The shepherd is to be exalted for equipping and empowering us. And here's what the exalted shepherd is doing. He is building one flock. He is building one family of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And he is loved by the Father, and we are loved by the Father, and he has power over life and death. And when our faith is in him, we have victory in life and over death. And God the Son was willing to humble himself in the incarnation in order to be exalted above all for our good. That's who he is. And the exalted shepherd is the life of glorification. All eyes are on him now and eternally. Psalm 22 is the psalm of the cross. Psalm 23 is the psalm of the crook of the shepherd's staff. Psalm 24, also being a shepherd's psalm, says this in verse 9. Lift up your heads, you gates. Rise up, ancient doors. And then the king of glory will come in. Who is he, this king of glory? The Lord of armies. He is the king of glory. The crown represents the glory he will reveal in the future in his eternal kingdom. And Psalm 24 is the psalm of the crown. Jesus, the exalted shepherd, is the one who is to be praised forever and ever. And friends, it is so easy for us to get distracted. And we take our eyes off of Jesus. And as Hebrews 12 instructs us to do, we are to keep our eyes 
fixed or focused on Jesus, but we so easily take our eyes off of him and we start looking at other people and we start looking at our situation and we start looking at ourselves when all along it must be our mission and our passion to put the first thing first and that is giving the exalted shepherd first place in every thought, word, and deed knowing that we're going to have the privilege of ruling and reigning with Christ as his sheep. Now, I'm going to give a word of warning here. It is true that God gives under shepherds to serve the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, the good shepherd, the cornerstone. He gives these under shepherds to serve the church. But the focus is never to be on the under shepherd. The focus is to be on the great shepherd. So the under shepherd has a responsibility to guide the flock, to provide for and to feed through God's word, to care for and to watch over and to protect. Yes, but the allegiance is never to be ultimately to the under shepherd. It is to be to the exalted shepherd. And one of the most clear measurements of the faithfulness of an under-shepherd is where they are placing the focus and where they, in turn, are encouraging the church to place the focus. If you ever get in a situation where someone who is under uh, the chief shepherd, under the great shepherd, and is serving as one of those under-shepherds, And it seems that their motivation is about all eyes on them. You need to be uh, allegiant to me. You need to focus on me. You need to give me attention. You need to notice what I'm doing. You better run in the other direction because that is not a faithful shepherd. That's a bad shepherd. And those are the ones that get the rebuke in the scripture from God himself. Our allegiance is to the great shepherd. He's the one who died for our sins. He's the one who rose. He's the one who is now with us. And the exalted shepherd will save us ultimately from the presence of sin. And friends, I long for that. I look forward to it. I close with these verses in Isaiah 41 in verse 10 and 11. See, the Lord comes with strength and his power establishes his rule. His wages are with him and his reward accompanies him. He protects his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them in the fold of his garment. And he gently leads those that are nursing. I love Philip Keller's work on uh, Psalm 23 in particular. And he wrote this in part. He said, domestic sheep are some of the most helpless animals in all the world. They literally cannot survive without a shepherd. They need him to guard them from predators, to lead them to pasture, to provide quiet sources of pure water and many other necessities. And if the shepherd does not guide them along, they can't stay upright. And then he says this, the Bible calls us sheep to, the, to point out what should be obvious, but what we often deny, that we cannot survive without a shepherd. God graciously sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be our shepherd. And if we will focus on him and honor him and follow him and exalt him, he'll make our lives eternally useful. 
Let's bow our heads together just for a moment as we come toward a close of the service. And I want you to reflect for a moment on what I've just shared and on these verses in Hebrews 13, 20, and 21. The first part of this uh, encouragement is for those of you who are following Jesus as your shepherd, you've been saved. You've been born again by the blood of Jesus through repentance and faith. But maybe somewhere along the way, you're one of those folks that's gotten distracted. You might even be wandering somewhere right now. You, You might be far from the fold, spiritually speaking. I'm here to tell you today that that can change in an instant. If you'll simply say to the Lord, what's on your heart and mind and what's going on in your life, he'll hear you. He'll forgive you, he'll restore you, and he'll set you back on the right path. You know, it's been said that most people are just a prayer of repentance away from true life change. I believe that to be true. Are you focused on Jesus as your shepherd? Are you following him faithfully? Are your affections focused on him? Is your allegiance to him and him alone? If it's not, it ought to be. But then the second part of this closing time is for those of you who have never come to begin with to follow Jesus as your shepherd. You say, Pastor, I know I'm lost. I've never been saved. I've never repented of my sins and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. Today could be the day of your salvation. God would hear your cry. If you turn to him and believe in the crucified, risen, and all-powerful Savior. He'll save your soul. He'll forgive you. He'll give you peace. Would you trust him? He's calling you. Come and follow me. Follow me. Follow Jesus. Father, we thank you today for the truth of your word. We thank you for this time of worship that we've had together through praying and singing and now the preaching of your word. God, your word never returns void. Your spirit is working in hearts right now. And I pray that you would use this message to to stir our hearts to a, a greater allegiance to Jesus, that all the glory would go to him. I pray, God, that we would be a church that would be so captured by the glory of Jesus that we wouldn't get focused on our own personal preferences. We wouldn't get focused on any petty differences. We wouldn't get focused on anything but the glory of Jesus, the shepherd, the one who is worthy. And and Lord Jesus, as we focus on you and as our attention is on you and as we keep our eyes fixed on you, we'll draw closer together because we have one mission. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God who is over all. I pray for my brothers and sisters now that might not be where they need to be spiritually. I pray if there are steps of repentance and renewal that need to be taken, that now would be the time. I pray that there would be some who would come to faith in Jesus as a result of hearing about how good you are, Jesus, and the glorious work that you have done. We give this time of closure and response over to you now, God, and we ask that you would work through it as you see fit. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.